0: The following audio content is a talk from Convergence, a service for young adults at University Presbyterian Church in Seattle, Washington. For more information, please visit our website at upc.org forward slash young adults. Isn't it? I mean, it's one of those times where it it is, you know, it's full of uh, joy and sorrow. I mean, it's full of uh, surprise and disappointment. Now, I'm probably not the only one, right? I'm guessing I'm not the only one in this room that opened up something on Christmas Day We're like... Oh, I'd love it! Is the receipt in there? Right? You're <laughs> thinking, man, I was hoping for something way better than that. But it's also, and it's also this time where, you know, we spend a lot of time with family, and yet, it also could be a time of great loneliness for some of us, even if we're with family. Uh, sometimes our families, we, we're, a lot of us have come back from Thanksgiving, our, our families can be... Uh, can be places in which there can be great joy, but also there can be sometimes a uh, challenge in there. I, one of the traditions we have for Thanksgiving and after Thanksgiving is, is we go down to the, to the Macy's um, lighting of the they light a big star down there, it's Westlake Center right downtown. They light a, a big star, they light a Christmas tree, and then they actually shoot fireworks off the top of Macy's, it's pretty sweet. Uh, we, we go down there every year and, and it's fun, you know, it's just, it's kind of, it's carnival I mean, it's crazy. It's, you know, there are people with different signs that are, that are running around. I mean, it, it's either you're looking on one side was, you know, repent or go to hell or you're going to hell. And then on the other side, it's buy more stuff, right? It's just the mix. You're just like, where, where am I right now? A um, bunch of people, I've never actually seen it before. A bunch of people that were just like, we've got to support the economy, buy more stuff. It's like bold. Are you joking, or <laughs> I'm not really sure what's going on, but it it uh, it's it's one of those we have a lot of fun. We have we get popcorn and, and I you know there's those kind of special moments where I'm, I got to hold Noah and we're watching the fireworks shoot off the top of Macy's and uh, and we had a great time and then we drove home right holidays and driving and it's uh, it's crazy we we get in and of course it takes us forever to get out you know because there's traffic and we're trying. Everyone's trying to get out at the same time. And, and it, it's kind of that, that time of the day where the boys are melting down. And so it's everywhere from like laughing to yelling loudly to, uh, to crying to screaming. I mean, it's all of it together, right? And, I, and by this time, my head is just about to explode. And I, I kind of can't take it. So I, I turn up the radio. And so, of course, we, we actually have our mix on. You know, we've, we've gotten some of our Christmas CDs. So it's, it's like a baby, you know, it's cold outside or some sort of Elvis remix You you, you know what it's like. It's like, how is this Christmas? This feels dirty. Anyway, so you know, (laughs) baby, it's cold outside. I'm turning it up because I just don't want to hear the boys in the back. And so you got this coming in, and they're they're screaming. And then, and then, uh, this is my own fault. I was a sucker, right? There's vendors that are going around, and they, they actually, they were swinging around those kind of glow stick things, which you know, lame. But then afterwards, they brought out lightsabers like blue ones. And they were like, they, you know, they're cheap, but they're like blue lightsabers. And I, I was a total sucker. No one wanted one. I was like, I would want one. let be honest. I'm going to play with it later tonight. <laughs> so, I, you know, I got a couple of them. So they're in the back. So not only are they screaming, but they're swinging this thing around, but at least they're not hitting me in the head. Right? So as long as you don't hit me, as long as you're, you're, you're focused on each other. Great. So they're swinging these things around. And on the way home, it's like, you know, screaming, flashing back here, you know, you know, this music that I'm trying to turn up. I'm just like, this is Christmas. Merry Christmas. (laughs) You know, this is, it's all, it's it's like I'm infuriated and I just want to go home and I have a headache uh, and it can't get any better than this, except it does because not only do I see the blue lights uh, of the swords behind me, but suddenly I see blue and red lights behind me and I'm thinking awesome. Uh, just a little tip for you guys. Apparently, blue lights flashing inside of a car is illegal. <laughs> didn't uh, didn't know that. Um, I'm sitting there thinking, we turned down the radio, boys. Let's turn off the let's turn off the the swords. Uh, Daddy got you a present, guys. We're gonna get a I got a ticket for your stocking. <laughs> Uh, we're not going to get toys this year. No. Anyways, we did. We did. I was just thinking that's all we need right now, right? Is Thankfully, he just gave us a warning, a certain warning, and we were very penitent. And, oh, we're so sorry. And, but uh, it's just hilarious. I mean, it, it is what it is. But this is what, in some ways, it's what life is, right? I mean, life is never sort of this perfect moment in which everything is great. It's this, myth. it's this grab bag. It's it's this good, bad, annoying but somehow hopeful at the same time. And, and then a little bit of joy in there. And, and we, it goes back and forth. And I think what I love about Christmas and I love about Advent is that perhaps more than any other time of year, it's that moment which we sort of slow down and we go, the eternal Word, the sovereign God, the one who reigns on high, who, who is above and outside of everything, actually enters the world that I live in. The, the messy one. The, the, the one that, that is difficult. The, the one where, you know, there's not easy answers. And yet he brings truth. The, you know, the, the one in which it doesn't always seem like right wins. And yet the, there's hope for, for justice. And one in which, you know, it seems like sometimes it can be pretty dark amongst all the lights. Um, you know, the, the, the glittering lights that we see on the streets. Sometimes it can be pretty... Pretty dark. That's the world I, I often live in. And yet it's one in which light comes in. We, we remember this time of year that this thing called the incarnation, which is a it's a big word. It, it, you know, it's, um, but it, it's a doctrine. It's a doctrine of the church. And, and this is an important word for us to wrestle with. Um, because what a doctrine does, and this is a professor of mine he explained this to me in a way that I just thought was brilliant. Help me begin to get it. A doctrine is not something, It's often we think it's like something that you gotta, you kind of come down and the church believes it and you've got to believe it. And and it's, it's true. We're called to believe in some basic doctrines. Incarnation is one of those. But a doctrine is not something that, that gets rid of sort of all questions. What it does is it holds together two things that want to split. Two things that don't belong together, things that we would go, they don't belong in the same category. And yet if we split them, that's not true either. So we somehow have to hold them together. And so the incarnation, it's this, that, that Jesus comes down, God, fully God, fully human. Doesn't make sense. You want to split those things. They don't belong together. The sovereign God and, and messy human experience. They don't go together. And yet somehow in Jesus, they, they do. And the church wrestled with this, and, and, and they wrestled with the kind of early eras in which people said, it'd be easier to split them, let's split them. And so, for, there were groups that were saying, you know what, Jesus actually never came. I mean, he was good, he, it was God that came down, and he never actually came down. It was sort of a phantom. You know, it's like we were all hallucinating for a couple of years. Um, he only seemed to die, because God does God, God not do that, he will not, he doesn't do that. And they said, no, 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 we, we can't go that way. Because here's the thing, it's coming out of this, this belief that somehow this world doesn't matter. It, it, was this, it was this belief that the best thing that we can do is to try to escape our bodies. Because fundamentally our bodies don't really matter. And, and really they're evil and it's like they're, they're a jail cell. So it's, if we can sort of escape into the, the spiritual. Because God would never want anything to do with this world. And they're like, that, that's, it's just not true. So we have to hold this thing together. God and human in the person of Christ. We're going to have a couple of people come up and share in a moment, but there's just three things. There's so much we could say about this idea of the incarnation that, that the scriptures that we're going to be reading tonight that we've already read. Some of you might recognize that famous passage at a, at a John beginning of John chapter one, which we hear that, that, that. The word, this this eternal, like in some ways you could say concept, but it's not concept, it's a person. But the word becomes flesh and he dwells among us. Eugene Peterson says he he moved into the neighborhood, God moved into the neighborhood full of grace and truth. Three things that strike me from these passages in which we got this doctrine of the incarnation. The first, it says something about this life, that this life matters. That this world matters. That, that the messy stuff of our life uh, isn't something isn't something to escape. It's not that, that, that God just looks down and goes, I don't want anything to do with that. But He actually puts on skin he, and steps into our experience. And I, and I love that. That there's no part of life that is too dark or too messy that... That God says, I can't have anything to do with it. But he says, you know what? I'm going to actually step down into it. And there's nothing so messy that God says, I can't be bothered with that. Because he would say, yes, there is a spirit in you. I want you to know that that it will get regenerated. That to be fully human is, is a physical and emotional, but also spiritual reality. And a social reality. I want to, I want, if I can bring life to your spirit, it's going to bring life to the rest of who you are. But this life, this place matters. I I created this world to be good. Well, it also says something uh, about God, doesn't it? Jesus comes and he begins to talk about the the, the sovereign God, the God of the heavens. He he says, this is my Father. He addresses God as his Father. Even by that, we have a sense that... uh, regardless of whether we feel like we have great fathers or, or not great fathers there's something in that there's a relationality that that Jesus reveals to us that that this sovereign God that is out there there's something what is true about him is that there is a relationality to him if there's a relationality there has to be love that somehow love is at the center of of all things and if that's true then 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 God has to be motivated by that love a, a deep Love to not stand far off because doesn't need us. He doesn't have to come down, but, but in a way he does, because if he's motivated by love, he can't stand just like I can't watch my kids do something that is so that that will totally hurt them. And there are times where I let them fall because that's how they learn how to, to walk, but I can't see them sit there and cry. I I have to step in. And so he says, I'm going to enter into this messy reality, even though I don't have to because I love this world. And not only that, I'm going to lay aside everything that I have rightful claim to and I'm going to come in not as one to demand things from people but, to, but as a servant. There's something pretty powerful about this Christian God. Not just any God, not just a concept, not just a, a divine being, not, not just a power, but a very personal God that is willing to, to serve. The last thing is this, is that we are told that Jesus comes and he gets this title, Emmanuel. And Emmanuel is a title that was, that was used by some of the prophets. Hundreds of years beforehand, and it means God with us. And there was this time where they were looking forward to, 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 the, God, to the God that they knew. that God would come back, it would be a part, it would be present. Like glory in some ways means the weighty presence of God. What we hear from John is that that weighty presence means grace and truth come together. Two things that so often don't go together. And yet when they do, transformation happens. Uh, Change happens. Uh, New life happens. Uh, New beginnings happen. When, When grace and truth can be held together, it's when we talk about this idea of shalom we talked about shalom as this idea of peace a proactive peace in which uh, truth beauty good and plenty break out in ways that we can see it's what god intended for us but it comes when you pull together grace and truth and that brings life to us but it also challenges us truth says i i, I can't just walk away truth says i, I I can't just say, well, that doesn't matter. But, but grace also says, I can't write somebody off either. It, it brings us into difficult places that we would rather not worry about. It, it makes us hang in there with people that, oh man, I would rather just, just write them off. But grace says, "Give them another chance. But don't turn a blind eye either. Well, that's what I, I encourage you as you think about some of these passages throughout Advent to, to be thinking about what does it look, what does it matter that Jesus showed up as a little baby? There's a, if you want, in the back, that there, there's some scripture that you can read through. If you want, kind of a reading, uh, way to get into um, some different scriptures, maybe scriptures that you're not used to thinking about during Christmas. So there, you can find some of those uh, in the back. But what I want to do now is I want to I want to invite some folks up just to, to begin to maybe kind of put some. That's a skeleton, but let's sort of maybe put some flesh on it as, as we kind of just have a conversation around what does this might be look like? What are the implications of that? So I want to invite David Brenner and Matt Whitney, wherever those guys are. Would you give them a hand? You. Uh, you hear from uh, me and others quite a bit, but what I, I wanted to do is I wanted to invite uh, uh, two guys from very different places. Um, to be able to come and just sort of reflect on these kinds of passages, on um, on this idea of Christ kind of entering into our, our human mess from, from where they stand, uh, and they invocationally they're coming from different places. Uh, they're people you need to meet, regardless. Uh, Matt's been around here for a long time. He's actually a, he's going to tell you in a moment. He's part of this big Advent kind of push on, on creating an image that will follow our sermon series on Sundays. You can see it uh, down, downstairs on most days, and he's going to be painting it. He'll, you will see him painting next week, um, and he can tell you a little bit about that in a, in a moment. But um, he's been a part of this community for a long time. Good, you need to get to know him. He's a good guy. David Brenner's been around here even longer. And, and David has, and his wife have really served um, in a lot of ways around it. I don't know how many different things you guys have done around this place, but uh, thank you for all that you've done. Uh, he, they have been a part of, of, so many different committees and task forces and all that kind of stuff that that's exhausting to even say, but you brought real blessing to us as you've taken on some hard issues. I know, uh, David, David is actually, um, I'll his law, but what I want to do is I just want to start, Matt, I want to start with you and you can grab that. And, and first of all, tell us a little bit kind of about the Advent project. Tell us about kind of how it came about and, and, and what, what you're doing with it.
1: Yeah, well, um.
0: I'm a painter, and
1: so UPC has invited me to uh, work on this painting for Advent. And, you know, the idea of Advent is is God, God with us, God coming into being with us. And so uh, the idea behind the painting is that uh, the painting would be created, uh, you would see the images sort of of come into form and shape uh, amongst community. So uh, this is actually really exciting. So instead of like me making a painting in my studio by myself and then dropping it off and saying, Here's your Christmas art. Um, you all kind of get to be a part of that process with me. And so I'm working uh, on this painting, and it's three large canvases uh, with the theme of Advent and, and George's sermon theme of yesterday, today, and forever. Uh, working on that during uh, various worship services, uh, including conversions. I'll be here. Next week, working on it?
0: Yeah. Probably the week after as well. If you guys want to sneak peek tonight, he's going to be at the inn. After this, you can sneak right across the hall and, and get a sense. But he'll be here the next couple of weeks. I think it's great. It's, it's fun. I, it, I told him he's better watch his paintbrushes because Caleb went up and, you know, two and a half early, he's like, I want paint. <laughs> you put a paintbrush near that kid and he is going to do his own little creative creative uh, project. But anyways, listen, you partly, what you're doing when you're painting is you're bringing something non-visible Uh, Visible, you're bringing something that we can tangibly see from something that it was intangible. Whether it's kind of a vision or for you or your commission for something, tell me why does that? What does that matter for you when you think about making something visible, especially as you think about kind of faith? Why does that matter? Sure. Uh, Well, I think it matters. uh,
1: Thinking about uh, Christ coming into form as a baby and thinking about the Word made flesh. You know, God God took the word, he took the law, and he made it material. He, and when he created us, you know, he created man and woman in his image. And so I think that uh, a little bit of that is uh, inherent in us as well, that we have this uh, this need and this desire to be creative people. And so for me, it's it's always been a calling to sort of pursue that path of, uh, of making art. And, um, you know, for me... Uh, being a, a believer, and, and what I what I want to do with my work is to um, acknowledge uh, that we do live in darkness, but live in truth. Uh, a lot like the uh, the scripture reading you had about you know the people dwelled in darkness and saw a great light. Um, you know we and you commented on that as well. That we just we live in crummy times. You know it's uh, it's one thing after another. I live in Greenwood and. You know, dealt with all these arsons this, you know, this last fall and uh, the police officers that were murdered last Sunday. It's just, it's a horrible place sometimes. Um, but we have to, but we have this truth that, that God, you know, came and, and dwelt among us and, and sacrificed himself to redeem us and, and that made this world good. And it, it wasn't just for those people uh, 2,000 years ago, it was for us today. And so for me, when I'm making, when I make art and the images that I create, it's it's about um, uh, just being in that, living in that truth and trying to make images that um, that communicate that and, and that people can experience.
0: So, you, like you, so in each image, you are trying to kind of bring out both grace and truth, right? And yeah. I, I think you were saying it before, sometimes there can be a sense that maybe your images are, are can be dark. Why, why is it important to bring out the dark for you? I think it's just it's it's an acknowledgement that we're broken people, and uh,
1: that we're very imperfect, and you know that's that's the good news is that is that we don't have to be perfect that, that God redeemed us and um, and gave us salvation through grace and that's the great truth about us and, and I think that's I know that's what sustains me and that's you know that's what I want to express as an artist that. <coughs> You know, my images might not always be nice or pretty, you know. They might be more jarring rather than comforting. Uh, but there's always, you know, my hope is that there's always
0: some hope in the work as well. Why is it important for you, when you think about art, about it maybe even being jarring? Why Why is that important? Why Why does that seem to be an integral part to, to what you do? Well, I think
1: that as Christians, you know, we... We we tend to seek seek comfort as well, and um, comfort, and we should, um, but but we also have a tendency to neglect the reality around us, and um, you know, even as an artist um, in the church, I see you know the church tends to gravitate towards uh, older images, uh, you know, for example, the Advent piece that I'm making. Uh, here is it's not a nativity scene right and there's no christmas trees in in the painting Uh, and those are those are comforting images and they're images that people came up with uh you know in the past and you know and they're valuable and they're valid but um, i just feel like uh we need to sort of come into faith into our own today here and now and you know for me that's what um, that's what the image making is about is, is trying to retell that story today and, and to make it truthful and
0: and real it I think it, you know we it, it is I think holding together grace and truth I, I think about this all the time. I think it is so difficult but I think it, it's what I think rings honest and maybe I, I hear that as we've talked before and even as you're talking tonight that that we can't just say the world is dark Um, um and be hopeless. We're not hopeless. But if if we're honest, we look out. I mean, you even just, what you just shared, I mean, what's going on in our own city right now, that's real. And to turn a blind eye is is to kind of slip into some place, unreality. And yet, also, we live with hope. And we live with a sense of grace. And we live with a sense of that there is something happening. Um, God is leading us out somehow. The the light is breaking in. So it seems like when you pull those two two things together, that's what I loved about... uh, your images is that it does have that sense of both that hold it together so for me it has a sense of feeling honest share a little bit about your, your process a little sure. bit as you as you think about kind of bringing grace and truth together what's your process uh,
1: well when I come up with, with imagery you know I keep a sketchbook and uh, it's, it's personal imagery uh, you know I have influences of mythology and uh, the Pacific Northwest has a very rich tradition of, of painters and um, and so I try to kind of follow in their footsteps but uh, yeah as far as imagery goes I, I work in a narrative style so I use you know people and animals and places and try to tell a story of my work and so um, I have an idea in mind and I come up with these images and I start to work on them, I start to incorporate them into a, a composition and then um, that's, that's half of the process so the second half of the process is Uh, stepping back from the canvas and listening Mm. and so in that sense it starts to become sort of a prayerful conversation with God Mm. you know I've done my part on the canvas and then I and then the, the artwork sort of becomes its own thing and I try to step back and just listen to the work and you know sometimes I pray directly to God for inspiration or what have you but sometimes a lot of the time it's just sitting and staring and meditating (coughs) excuse me Um, and so it becomes kind of this back and forth push pull conversation uh, with the art object and it's about and the artwork can change as I go uh, and you know themes and ideas can also uh, come to the surface things that I hadn't intended and you know that's just part of the fun of it it's just a a very open process and um, it's open to interpretation, not just my interpretation, but yours and and the viewer who experiences the artwork.
0: Yeah, cool. Thanks, da- David. Uh, um, David, why don't you share with us a little bit, just real briefly? Wh- where do you work? Wh- and wh- what do you do? What
2: kind of law do you practice? Uh, I work for a firm of about sixty lawyers downtown in Seattle. It's called Riddell Williams, and most of my career I've been a litigator. Uh, you get ready to go to trial. You hardly ever go to trial these days. Uh, and uh, in the last couple of years, I've also become the head of our non-profit practice group, which has been a interesting and exciting new place to uh, in my practice. You know, I was thinking, I'm not so different from you. I mean, I'm certainly older, and uh, <laughs> here we have a beard, uh, beards. and I was thinking about your, uh, what you were saying about telling a story with your paintings, because that's really what you do as a as a lawyer, uh, especially as a litigator, you tell stories. You're hired to tell a story from a certain point of view. Uh, And you tell that story by writing briefs and by standing in a courtroom and making arguments. So your medium is uh, paint and my medium is words. Uh, The facts that I'm handed uh, and how I use those facts to tell a story uh, for the person who's hired me to get their point across. Uh, So that's... That's really what I do, is yeah. uh,
0: paint with words. We were kind of laughing beforehand because we were sharing, like, if there, anybody walks into a mess, you, your job is basically to walk into messes. I mean, that's, there, wouldn't be a job, there wouldn't be a job for lawyers if there was no mess. There was no well, argument,
2: right? That's very true. You know, a lot of times you uh, find yourself after interviewing a new client in a situation thinking, wow, you know, why do I have to deal with this? And then you think, wow, I'm sure glad that mess happened because that's my job is to take care of that problem. Uh, so, uh, But that's also sort of the downside of being a lawyer. I mean, you're constantly cleaning up messes or you're uh, trying to prevent them from happening. Uh, so there's this concept of risk management. Uh, much of what I do, as I said, has to do with insurance. I sue insurance companies for policyholders when they don't uh, honor claims. So it's... Uh, uh, you know, it can be small family owned businesses or it could be Microsoft or Fugit Sound Energy and uh, big corporations. Uh, and uh, so and you have litigation over that and trying to get the insurance company to do what they should do. Uh, but then the other side of it is you also try to prevent bad things from happening. And this is really pervasive in the law. You know, whether you're a litigator or you're a corporate lawyer writing contracts, you're always trying to think of what could go wrong uh, and uh, try to uh, avoid that. Uh, happening, or at least not becoming a problem for your client, because you write the contract to take into that into account. Or if you're litigating and you've got this story, you know there there's never a perfect story, and uh, there's always uh, bad facts to deal with, or bad witnesses, or people who aren't very attractive uh, on your side of the case. And so then you try to uh, you know uh, manage the risk in that situation by uh, controlling the story in some way. I think that's the hard part for lawyers. Uh, One of the reasons lawyers are uh, actually sort of notoriously unhappy uh, is that you're trying to control the uncontrollable all the time, Uh, especially as a litigator. Either you're trying to think of what could go wrong and take care of that, so that's kind of an inherently negative way to think about life, Uh, or you're uh, trying to create this package and plug all the leaks in it as you go along. And, you know, when I... When I think about transcendence and about uh, how does Jesus make a difference, how does it make a difference that Jesus came down uh, 2,000 years ago or that he's here with us now because he said, I'm here with you always and when he was leaving. You know, it, uh, it's uh, realizing that you're never in control and it's just foolish to think that you can be. Uh, and uh, just handing the issue over to him um, the other thing that I think about often uh, with Jesus is, in, when I think about it in my practice, is how he always had the right word to deal with angry people. Hmm. You know, he didn't necessarily make people less angry. Sometimes people became more angry after they talked to him. Uh, they didn't like what they heard. Uh, but he uh, diffused so many situations, and he cut right to the heart of the situation. And so as a lawyer you know, what a great model to have the right word at the right moment. Uh, A truthful word, not just what the client wants to hear, but the word that can heal that situation. So that's, you know, a a perfect model.
0: I want you to talk a little bit about, uh, kind of more about grace and truth as you think about how does that kind of help you kind of within practice? How does that guide you and lead you? And And I think that's a... Great example. I think of lawyers. I also think of like uh, police officers. I mean, we ask, in some ways, your job, or we ask you to walk into situations in which we would never want to go. I think about my friend who's a police officer. And I think if anybody needs kind of the, the wisdom of the spirit, grace and truth together, the right word, it's the people that we ask to walk into domestic violence situations, to walk into situations that are really, really difficult, and to somehow have exercise uh, power in such a way as to, to, to defuse a situation, but also to not abuse that power. And so it, to walk into arguments, you know, so how does... That's a hard place to be at. It's a hard place to be in when you're, you're wrestling, kind of, you're wrestling with truth and, you, and you're, bat, you're in an argumentative situation. You're in a, in a situation that sometimes can be combative. So how does sort of
2: grace and truth and holding those things together, how has that kind of helped kind of guided you, guide you? Uh, well, you know, I... <laughs> If you have a good case, you're fine with truth, right? If you have a bad case, you're hoping for grace. (laughs) And uh, so that's that's certainly one level. But uh, as you you pointed out, John, in the law, our whole legal system is set up, especially in litigation, as an adversary process. It's a fight. It's It's designed to be a fight between two parties, or many, sometimes many parties, uh, each of which has a story to tell and the, the notion is that uh, by having everybody do the best job on their story the truth will out the finder of fact will determine between these two stories uh, what the truth is and often it's somewhere in between um, so it's an advert it, you know it's a it's a battle it's a designed battle and uh, especially in more recent years is the bar has gotten to be so big, uh, you don't really often meet the same lawyers on the other side unless you're in this particular specialized area where they're a smaller number. So you don't have the need to build relationships with those lawyers. And you can just fight the battle in a scorched earth way because you're probably not going to see that lawyer again, odds are. Um, and, uh, and so uh, that's, uh, there's no grace in that. You know, The truth might come out, but there's no grace in that situation. And the really great places to practice uh, are ones where really good cases are where the lawyers understand that you, you, ha- you can have a relationship, you can be friends, uh, you can appreciate each other's gifts and skills even while you're trying to you know, outwit the other side. Uh, that's the grace. And truth can come out better in that situation too because it's just not this complete hostile thing. Uh, so, you know, that's kind of like what Jesus did, too. Uh, uh, he, as I said, he, he found the right word to diffuse so many situations. Uh, people who uh, were trying to set him up, uh, Pharisees, the Sadducees, the lawyers, scribes, the lawyers of their time, uh, they, they gave him puzzles, uh, render and, and he came back with answers that they marveled at. It uh, wasn't just wordplay, he just he cut to what they were trying to do and cut through it and, gave them truth and uh, wow you could do that as a lawyer I mean that's your goal you want the jury to feel that way when you're arguing your case um, but uh, it's a it's a real challenge to uh, build a relationship and uh, seek the truth in a
0: Integration's oh, thanks I going to ask Kelly if she would come up thank you dude
2: where's Kelly at oh she's in the... hey right here
0: got a little spot for you right here Hey, I wanted Kelly to come up just to share with us briefly, um, partly because some of you may or may not, Kelly joined us a few weeks ago. Some of you probably recognize, some of you don't. I want you to have a chance to get to know her. She joined uh, us as our admin assistant. Uh, She's here 18 hours a week. And so uh, I want this opportunity just for folks to get to know you a little bit, but also to touch on something we were talking about the other day. But first of all, would you just share with us a little bit, you know, where did you come from, school, kind of where, what are you doing now? How did, you, yes. and for, how did you, even, how you even connected to UPC?
3: Yes, um, well, I grew up in Colorado Springs, Colorado, and uh, <laughs> moved out here to go to school at UW, um, actually mainly to be on the track team. John had mentioned earlier that my, I was a pole vaulter on the UW track team. And anyway, so graduated 08, and last year um, did an internship at UMIN, um, so worked over at the Inn. Um, and did that whole thing for the year met John that way um anyway so I guess that's kind of my connection to UPC and then now um, what are you
0: doing now I mean you're working 18 hours a week I'm slave driving
3: you it's true (laughs) uh well the rest of my time I'm actually um doing a number of things but the main thing is I'm training for pole vaulting again just seeing how far I can go so decided that I missed it last year and have to keep doing it so (laughs) that's kind of what i'm doing right now this
0: is awesome well tell us one of the first things you know when i first met kelly i often will get first impressions with people and they'll just stick in my mind but we were driving out to a retreat in which we were beginning the year uh, with you men and and it was real so obvious that you had this heart for latin america Um, and i began to hear a little bit about about that and then you even got a chance to, to go travel and you just got back from that down in latin america Yeah, um, took a bunch of time what is it about Latin America that has captured your heart Um, we were sharing a little bit about this what is it that keeps drawing you back that you would spend a bunch of money to travel there if you could travel anywhere in the world
3: yeah Um, well it's kind of a complicated question I suppose (laughs) Um, but I would say the initial attraction to me um, when I was in 8th grade I took a missions trip to Mexico did the classic build a house um, that sort of thing Um, However, I went down there and just fell in love with the people down there, fell in love with the culture, and um, was fascinated with the language. I don't know, I couldn't tell you what it was, but it was just like trying to learn Spanish was like this really cool thing for me. And so um, I went back, I've been down to Mexico several times doing the same kind of project, Um, and each time just fell in love with it more. And um, I've like re, like spent some time in Costa Rica and Nicaragua and again went down there and just like I have to move down here I don't know why but I just I need to um and so I guess kind of like
0: and I we were talking yesterday and I was like yeah. great what why yeah exactly why?
3: <laughs> I'm still trying to figure that no um I I guess let me let me tell you a story about um this last time. I just got back from Peru. I spent five weeks down there. Um, And I think the story kind of captures what it is about Latin America that captures my heart. Um, But we... um, I went with a couple friends and we had traveled um, mainly southern Peru, but we spent some time on... um, at Lake Titicaca, which is um, a lake that sits in between Peru and Bolivia at 12,500 feet. So it's a super high lake. um, And we decided we're going to take this long boat ride out to an island and spend the night on this island um and the island had like uh, it's like seven square kilometers there's maybe two thousand people at the most that lived there um there was electricity had been introduced to the island in 1996 and so a lot of people still didn't even have electricity when we were there and um you just get there and it's just this incredibly rich culture where people are still speaking the native Incan language, practicing their native, um, like, uh, religion from the Incans and just kind of living in this, like, this world that's kind of escaped almost modern day, the modern day world. Um, but anyway, we had spent, we spent the night there and, um, while we were there, we had nothing to do but explore the island, talk to the people that we were with. Um, they had like invited us into their home and cooked meals for us and that sort of stuff, and just hang out with people because there's no TV, there's no nothing. You have nothing to do. And um, while I was sitting there, like in the middle of the night, and it's pitch black, there's no lights around, so you can see all of the stars. It was beautiful. Um, I just kind of was thinking about like. I was just like, I love this place, and um, I think what it came down to was realizing that these people lived in this this beautiful community, um, in a, in a community that I feel like is hard to to fully appreciate here in the U.S. Um, we just live in a a little bit more individualistic society, and for them, this community was was their lifeline, and it wasn't about you have all the. All these people are just living on this island. They have nowhere to go. It wasn't about making the most money and getting the biggest job and that sort of stuff because everybody had to work for each other. And you had to grow crops so that everyone could eat. You had to farm so everyone could um, take, you know, use the animals and make. They were big on making textiles, so making these textiles. And it was just this idea that um, that they they just had this dependency on their community, where. A lot of times I feel like we miss that in the U.S. And that um, we understand that community is important for sure. And we always seek it out. But we don't need it as much as they needed it there. Because without without their neighbors and their family to support them, they couldn't do anything. They just don't have those resources. Um, And so I guess it's just kind of that culture that just attracts me to it. And this is just kind of like the one picture I think that um, summarizes why I love Latin America and why I want to go down there more and just get to know the people and the culture that's down there and understand this community that is dependent on relationships and people. So, awesome.
0: I, I challenge you—you know—stick around after this or, or go out or wherever you're going, but grab someone and you begin to talk about what is it that you love about this time of year, the holidays. What is it that you hate? And begin to fit. See, I bet there's probably some common themes. And then I would challenge you to think about Jesus sort of stepped out of what he could have done to enter into our reality. And so I, I would encourage you to listen, to think about you know, the discipline. I'm going to slow down just a little bit and, and listen and, and expect. God stepped into this world. So where is he at now? Where is he moving by his spirit? And then where can I then take a little bit of a risk and join him? to enter in, to pause, to be present in a place and not just rush off to the next thing. Maybe even to, to choose relationship over something that we find is fun, maybe we think it's important um, but really it pulls us out of relationship. Choose relationship. Choose to, to, to linger with somebody. Uh, choose to, to pause for a moment, to let, to let a conversation uh, happen. Seek relationship. Um, it, it's that time of year we love we're drawn to it, and I think in some ways we're drawn to it because that's God gave us no other gift than His presence. So, challenge to think how can we then be present uh, to each other? I'm um, going the worship, Anthony, come up. And, Anna, would you thank all these guys?